the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband, Brian, is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens, and Happy Easter. Easter is, of course, the most important holy day, and it's the most important date in history and in Christianity, and we're going to talk more about that. We're here with Jeremiah Johnston, Ph.D., a New Testament scholar, president of the Christian Thinker Society. He's the author or co-author of 12 books. He does all kinds of things. He gives believers informed reasons for what they believe. He's been on Fox News, CNN. He's appeared in USA Today, Relevant, The Christian Post, and others. He also serves as pastor of apologetics at Prestonwood Baptist Church. And he and his wife have five children and live in Texas. So, For our Easter episode, we're discussing Dr. Johnston's just-released book, Body of Proof, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Welcome, Jeremiah. Brian and Kathleen, it's so delightful to be with you. Thank you for your program. I'm going to get right into this because we're going to uh, treasure every minute we have with you. So what is resurrection faith? You say in the book, in the introduction, I should say, to your book, that Many Christians are clumsy about their resurrection faith. So what do you mean by that? Unfortunately, the resurrection of Jesus, and make no mistake, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center of a Christian worldview. We hear a lot today about a Christian worldview and how important it is to live our lives by a biblical worldview, but we often miss the mark realizing that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the center of that worldview. It is the key that unlocks all of the other values of a Christian worldview. And just to put it in perspective, Brian, there are over 300 passages in the New Testament that talk about the resurrection of Jesus. That's remarkable when you think there are only 260 chapters in the New Testament. Every sermon in the book of Acts highlights the resurrection of Jesus. And it's truly the key to our ethics. It's the key to our joy and our hope and to being strong. But unfortunately, the resurrection of Jesus, for whatever reason, is understudied today. It's underpreached. It's undertaught. We don't hear a lot about resurrection-centric faith outside of the resur- outside of Easter weekend, and then you know the odd funeral we might attend. And it's something that was talked about every Sunday. It was highlighted. It was the rallying call of early Christianity. So we need to return and recover a resurrection-centric faith. And like you say, there are three hundred passages on the resurrection in the New Testament. And every sermon in the book of Acts, as you just mentioned, focuses on the resurrection of Jesus. This was the, as you, you know, the 
clarion call in the early church and just the proclamation that everyone and everybody wanted to share that they wanted to write it down they wanted to send out all the texts that uh proclaim the resurrection of christ i mean think about it jesus rose from the dead so then he it means he is god so it's the most important thing that happened in christ in the history of the world and how is that different like you, you just been have been mentioning we don't preach it today as much as it should be how is it different today than the early church and kind of describe what they did in the early church a little more yeah that's a great question kathleen because you know we we need to understand the impact that biblical illiteracy has on this you know in the in the early christian movement had died christianity um the christians had quit being christians because their messiah had died by roman crucifixion and no one believed the messiah was the messiah if the messiah died by crucifixion in fact there were 27 other messianic claimants in the first century 20 you know i have four sons i would tell this way you know there were 27 other dudes that claimed to be the messiah in the first century jesus wasn't the only one however jesus is the only one of whom it was said he came back alive after being killed and that's why the movement continued and there seems to be it was this fuel this rocket fuel if you will that hey jesus is alive the new world has begun jesus is alive we have forgiveness of sins jesus is alive we need to take this message to the world and you just simply cannot explain what happened in the Roman Empire outside of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus and the followers that not only believe that but began proclaiming it. I recall reading, uh, in a, it's certainly not in the Bible, but in a history of the Roman Empire that they were they mentioned the this rising Christian faith in a negative light, but they predicted that um, within a generation, it would be completely gone from the earth. They expected that they, that it would be completely, 100% wiped out within a generation. But, of course, they didn't know what they were dealing with. So there are, isn't it true that there are some people, some people that call themselves Christians but don't even believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Have you run into that at all? Absolutely. Sadly, it is true. It's true at both the lowest and highest levels. The highest levels of academia, there are individuals who write Bible commentaries who do not believe in the miraculous. They don't believe Jesus came back alive from the dead, and yet they still write Bible commentaries. And there are others who just, you know, look at the resurrection, you know, just in their normal life as irrelevant. In fact, there was a study that was released this week by Lifeway Research that two-thirds of Christians don't really understand why the resurrection is important. They might believe in it, but they, they're not too sure uh, why it even matters or what relevance it has in their daily life. That's not what we see reflected in the faith of the New Testament. In fact, this is really encouraging. The promise that we're given more than any other promise in the New Testament is the promise of John fourteen nineteen. Because Jesus lives, we will live also. That promise is given more than two dozen times. And so there's very much a literal connection, a link, if you will, between Jesus's resurrection and our future resurrection. And when I became a Christian in my 40s, I learned that that was the central, most important fact of the Christian faith is that Jesus was resurrected and that you have to believe that to be even be a Christian. So it is really surprising 
that there are those that do not understand it and that maybe don't even believe in it. So that is a central teaching, and you can't be a Christian without believing it. In, in my understanding, and, and you're saying that too as well. Exactly. So, so that's you, exactly right. The Christianity stands and falls on the fact of the resurrection. I mean, the crucifixion is definitely part of the gospel, but it's not good news unless Jesus is vindicated over death. Absolutely, and that proves the deity of Christ. So we've so. talked about some of the misunderstandings that Christians have about the resurrection, which your book does a terrific job, by the way. I have read it does a great job of addressing. But let's turn for a moment to the skeptics, non-Christians. Um, if they even refer to the resurrection at all, what would you say is the most common kind of skeptical response to this idea of Jesus' resurrection? I've done a lot of work on this, and it's really interesting where scholarship has moved. If you meet a typical skeptic today, they don't ascribe to the swoon theory, which is that Jesus wasn't really dead, because the more you know about crucifixion, they made sure you were dead. They don't ascribe to the hallucination theory that, you know, 636 people all just hallucinated the same hallucination that Jesus was alive. That's not based in reality. There's no other evidence of anyone ever doing some, any group doing that. They don't ascribe to the misconception theories. They don't describe to the, ascribe to the naturalistic theories. They no longer ascribe to the fact that, oops, the women went to the wrong tomb, like going to the wrong address, and they, mistake, they mistook that for the empty tomb. The fascinating truth is they all will admit that the history points to the fact that Jesus' disciples had experiences of seeing him alive after he was dead, but they stopped short. Why? Their worldview will not allow for it. And so my message to anyone who's listening to us today, if, if you find yourself trying to disbelieve the resurrection, hear my heart. You can't disbelieve it on the historical grounds. You can't disbelieve it on the evidential grounds. It just may be your worldview doesn't want to accept it. So perhaps it's time that you rethink your worldview. And yes, it's a problem of willingness on, in so many cases. The will to believe, they don't want to believe it, so then they ignore it or I'll turn the other way. Don't want to deal with the evidence, don't want to deal with the real truth. Um, what are the three facts that even skeptics can agree are true? Even, as you say, some of them... Uh, don't believe all the other theories, but what are the three facts they cannot deny? They grant the fact that, number one, Jesus claimed to have an intimate relationship with God. That's, that's of course, when Jesus would refer to himself 69 times as the Son of Man in the Synoptic Gospels. They also will grant that Jesus was well known as a miracle worker and as an exorcist. Make no mistake about that. Jesus is famous in the Mediterranean world. There's, some, there's a power attached to invoking his name in prayer and exorcism. And then thirdly, make no mistake that Jesus and his disciples all that Jesus believed he had a special relationship with God and that he was bringing that relationship and he called it the kingdom of heaven on earth we see that 54 times in the New Testament and so scholars will grant all of those facts plus the one I just mentioned about disciples having experiences of seeing Jesus alive and they cannot deny either that there was a big movement that arose after his death it, the, that's a historical fact, too. 
I I took a class in the historical Jesus from a university, University of Toronto to be exact. And, oh, awesome! And they, but they did not tell the historical Jesus. They 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 said there were only five facts that were known about him: one that he was born in Nazareth, one that, or I mean Bethlehem, that, that he got in trouble with the temple authorities, that he. Uh, that there and 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 well, I remember that the other one was that there was a big movement that arose after he died. So um, th- that's not true. I mean, there, we know so much more of the historical record that that it, you know uh, that that it reveals. But that was they cannot deny either that that he changed the world in so many ways. And that's one of your chapters. How, whenever the the resurrection of Jesus is t- taught and believed. It transforms communities, people. T- tell us about that. You know what? That's really interesting. I'm glad you brought up that point and your experience at the University of Toronto. I actually was a professor once upon a time at Acadia University. And, you know, it's fascinating that I have to appeal to, and I point this out in my book, Body of Proof, I have to appeal to Roman emperors for the same level of textual attestation and evidence that I have for Jesus of Nazareth. Even Bart Ehrman grants there's 11 sources for the life of Jesus within 100 years, which is an acceptable period of time, historically speaking. We can build 50 facts about the birth, the life, the death, the burial, and yes, the resurrection, and the impact of the early Christian movement before we ever open the Bible. Yes, you say there's 11 other extra-biblical authors that attest to it. That's 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 huge, because I studied classics also, and there's not that many authors that attest to some of the ancient Greeks and some of the other you know, Precisely. philosophers. I mean, there's so much historical evidence. It's just yeah. I have uh, my name. My last name is uh, of course Melanakis, which is Greek. And I, we've been to Greece a number of times, and that country and many others take such pride in uh, in the legacy of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. Yet none of those, nor any other of the famous Greeks, the playwriter Euripides, and on and on and on. None of those have the historical evidence that Jesus Christ has, that they ever even, if we, if we applied the standards that skeptics apply to Jesus and even the resurrection, I think we'd have to deny that all these other people that are venerated in universities like Plato and Aristotle, we'd have to really doubt that they ever existed based yeah, on applying can't. the same evidence. That's such a vital point. It shows the bias against Christianity. And, I mean, if we're not going to, as I say in the book, you know, if we're not going to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then just don't believe in anything. And don't believe in the Civil War. Don't believe in the Roman Empire. Don't believe in anything in history. I want to circle back to a point that uh, Kathleen mentioned it, but I want to get a little more of your commentary on this. You have background on this book. You have seven chapters that each deal with a major reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's called Body of Proof, right? And so the title of your uh, first of these chapters is Society is Transformed Everywhere, Christianity is Introduced and Embraced. Elaborate a little bit more on kind of what what can we be, looking at it as if we were secularists, what can we be thankful to Christianity for in terms of what's been contributed to societies? 
Now, I will tell you I have a cheat code on this answer because I actually wrote an entire other book about what the world would be like without Christianity called an unimaginable. So <laughs> I've, I've lived in this answer for a long time. You got that. And okay. This is, this is where, you know, we have to pass on a legacy of faith to our children. It, it, our kids today and our grandkids remind me of Judges 2.10. There arose after them a generation that did not know the Lord or the works which he had done for Israel. Friends, I just cannot underestimate, I cannot overemphasize size. Well, let me just put it this way. Why did we say Winston Churchill was that great protector of, quote, Christian civilization when he stood against the Nazis and fascism? It seems that Christian civilization built the West. And Rodney Stark, a great eminent sociologist and other thinkers have pointed out all the ways in which the Christian movement gave rights to equality, the Magna Carta, hospitals, health care. Um, I, I really do want to write a whole another book on just the Christian influence of healthcare because you know in the time of Jesus you went to the temple of Asclepius to get quote unquote medical attention it was Christians that because of the, li- the the love of creation began making scientific discoveries that led to medicinal discoveries i could go on and on with both of you we just simply don't realize so many of the amenities we enjoy especially in the west those come out of the cut and thrust of the Christian movement and it kind of explains the difference between the Old and the New Testament as well. Before Jesus came, he, the, the, the world was more brutal. It was more primitive. Just so, uh, you know, the, God was guiding history all that time. However, it changed magnificently after Jesus came. I mean, it just was transformed. So, so many things were changed. Healthcare, as you say, and treating the poor, and how widows were treated, and and just the value and dignity of human life, and and child just, sacrifice, which was extremely widespread, uh, became much less much less common. Many things. And I would like to bring up about your reason number seven. I mean, you have seven main reasons that we should believe in the resurrection according to the evidence and to history. But one of them is that it only, only the resurrection can really inform us about how grief and suffering become meaningful. So explain, explain about that. Yeah, the only way we can make sense of all the suffering in our lives that we experience is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This comes right out of so many passages, but I'm thinking specifically of Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where Paul says, you know, I cannot compare the... Um, I can't compare all the sufferings that I've experienced with the glory that's to come. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We grieve, but we grieve in hope of the resurrection. And if anyone here who's listening, my heart goes out to you if you're grieving. There is a massive difference between grieving with no hope and grieving in the hope of Jesus. And so the wonderful thing about our, our friends, our loved ones who have died in Christ we can talk about them in the present tense. They're more alive today than they've ever been. To be absent from the body, Second Corinthians 5.8 says, is to be present with the Lord. And that is a great encouragement to us. And that should encourage us not just Easter week or Easter weekend, but every day of our lives. Agreed. I want to touch on another proof area. You have a chapter on very recent archaeological findings related to the resurrection of Jesus. And, you know, other major world religions 
one of the main one of the, one of the many differences between Christianity and other religions is other religions don't have the historical record, including the archaeological. We've talked about the written record and also the archaeological record of real history. So, talk about some of the archaeological findings that support this. Such an important question again. Unlike any other religion in the world, Christianity is a testable religion. It says, hey, you can test our belief system against history. You can test us. It invites critical inquiry. It invites us to compare what we see in our historical document, which is the library called the Bible, with what we see in the material culture uh, and reality in the world and archaeology and everything from Yehohanan's heel bone, which was discovered in an ossuary in the land of Israel with a crucifixion spike. He was a crucified criminal. That shows that even, and by the way, he was executed under Pontius Pilate. It showed even executed criminals had not honorable, but proper burials. So we can't come along and argue with the facts of archaeology, the facts of history, and say, oh, Jesus was never buried, therefore he wasn't resurrected. You know, in, again, here's my point. You cannot deny the resurrection based on the archaeology. All the archaeology points to is Jesus' death by Roman crucifixion and his resurrection. I'm not the only one who thinks that. Jody Magnus, an atheist archaeologist at the University of North Carolina, says the very same. The Gospels get it right when they talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus based on the archaeology. And anybody that really looks into it, that wants to know, will run up against all this evidence that Jesus was God. Um, I want to take one of your chapters. It was called the "If If the Disciples Invented the Story of Jesus's Resurrection." They did a terrible job. I thought that was very good. How is that that they did a <laughs> well, terrible job? It's just so true. I mean, if the three of us wanted to invent a religion that would be popular in the Roman Empire in the first century, we absolutely would never have invented Christianity. First and foremost, we would never claim that our Messiah, our God-man, had died on a Roman cross. Crucifixion was the most shameful, heinous way to die, so we would never invent that if it didn't really happen. Furthermore, we would never claim that our founder of our religion, our Messiah, had been resurrected because we would be so, as you already pointed out, impacted by the Greek Platonic notion of the immortality of the soul. The body was evil. Plato, Socrates, you know, they taught to be, you wanted your soul to become immortal to get rid of this dirty body. Certainly we wouldn't talk about a body coming back to life. We certainly wouldn't invent a religion with females as the main witnesses. Mary Magdalene, who's only mentioned once in the Gospels, becomes suddenly this first witness of the resurrection. We never would make that up. We'd never create a religion where our lead disciple, the the leader, cusses and leaves Jesus. Um, We would certainly not make it up that way. Here's the issue. Why are the Gospels written? Open to criticism as they are, because that's what actually happened, and that's what makes them truthful. Well, and we wouldn't make up a religion where we don't live for self either. We we give right. our lives to the actual creator of the universe that that is the master of all, instead of just living for ourselves. Like the 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 other mytho- mythological gods, you know, you you make a bargain with them, and they will give you what you want (laughs) kind of like kind of like a lot of the new age and other more modern religions well um we're getting close to wrapping up here but i'd like to really ask you from this whole book 
What would you say is one thing, if, if Christians could take away only one thing from reading your book, Body of Proof, what would that be? And then after that, if skeptics, if you could get, I'd like to get a skeptic. I can think of some in my own family. If I could get a skeptic to read Body of Proof, what's one thing that you would hope a skeptic would take away? I'll start with the latter. I would want a skeptic to understand that Christianity is true if Jesus rose from the grave. It's a game, set, match. I would want a skeptic to understand from reading my book all the evidential uh, lines. I have a hundred lines of evidence that underscore my seven best reasons to believe in the resurrection, half of which don't include the Bible, even though I make it very clear I believe the Bible, and especially the New Testament, they believe them all, but in, in relation to the gospel, gospel narratives, these are historical documents. For the believer, I would want the believer to understand that the resurrection is the center of a Christian worldview, and we need to know more about it. And when we learn more about the resurrection, we're promised to be strengthened, made immovable. We're promised a living hope because of the resurrection in 1 Peter 1.3. So we can face whatever challenge, whatever adversity with hope because of the resurrection. Amen. So where can our listeners find your book, Body of Proof? Anywhere books are sold, thank you for asking. It's available in audiobook as well. I narrate the book. It's available on ebook, paperback. You can also check out more at ChristianThinkers.com. That's our ministry website. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We hope you have a wonderful celebration with your family, and we are hoping you come back and talk to us again. Uh, we 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 give you greetings there in Texas, and we hope you're having a wonderful holiday. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. Thank you. So, yeah. folks, to bless your neighbor, consider, really consider, I, I go beyond consider, get this book, Body of Proof, and more importantly, ponder the wonder of Christ's resurrection deeply. Pray how you can share the good news of eternal life in this and every season. Thanks. Join us next Saturday at noon for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, seek to educate and activate Christians at a grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover another major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.